If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to Genesis 39. I love preaching from Scripture. There's always something here. Uh, and I was just sitting there thinking I love preaching to you all, uh, that you all are eager to hear from God's Word, hold it true, and believe that there's something here. And um, that makes my job that much easier uh, to stand here and to know that you all want to hear from God and hear from His Word and trust it. So, Genesis 39 this morning. Uh, we just read through, we witnessed one of the ugliest events in Israel's history. Um, and here we open chapter 39 to find one of the greatest examples of integrity and godliness in the Old Testament. Uh, chapters 38 and 39 are a lesson in contrast. I think that's another, we said that last week that that's one of the reasons that chapter 38 is placed where it is. It shows this contrast between Judah and Joseph. Chapter 38 is filled with men who disregard God and they seek personal satisfaction without any responsibility. And then chapter 39 is filled with an example of a man who lives before the face of God and he stands firm in the midst of temptation and trial. We may want to boil chapter 39 down to some sort of lesson in, in how to resist temptation. And certainly there's, there's principles there, and I think that's part of what we'll see this morning. But I think there's more to it. And I think we see in the fact that the presence of God, the, the nearness of God, the, the fact that the Lord was with Joseph, that sort of bookends this whole ordeal with Potiphar's wife. The presence of God bookends this whole thing, and it reminds us that, that God is often nearest when he seems the furthest away. Um, if we know that God is with us, then when we're thrown into difficulty, we can, when, when we're in difficulty or when we see his hand of blessing or when we're tempted to sin, when we're falsely accused, when we face trials and, and heartache, that knowledge of his presence guides us and it, and it strengthens us. Psalm 73 is a well-known psalm. The psalmist talks about how the wicked seem to prosper. And then he concludes the psalm like this. He says in verses 27 and 28 of Psalm 73, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I love that. It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And here in chapter 39, I think, I think Joseph is teaching us that, that the nearness of God will always be our good, no matter what is happening around us. That's our big idea. The nearness of God will always be our good, no matter what is happening around us. Because there's a lot happening around us. <laughs> I mean, life is full of ups and downs, Moments of glory, followed by times of crushing defeat. And sometimes those things happen almost at the exact same time. Um, and we can be certain that God is with us. And that certainty of the presence of God is what stabilizes us. Maybe you think about those kids' punching bags that have the sand in the bottom and they're sort of inflatable. Have you ever seen those? And you can punch that bag and it'll fall to the ground and go back and forth all over. But the sand will always bring that punching bag right back to the, the, the central place, standing firm. And I think the presence of God here helps is that, is that stabilizing force. It's the, the sand in the bottom. So for Christians, life beats us up. It, it sort of knocks us around. And the presence of God, our knowledge that he is near to us, it stabilizes us. It causes us to stand no matter 
What's being thrown at us? The nearness of God will always be our good, no matter what is happening around us. Let's look at chapter 39 and and see this theme. We're going to read the whole chapter, so verses uh, 1 through 23, just a brief outline to point out to you. Verses 1 through 6, the first part of verse 6, sort of show what's going on with Joseph um, in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, gives us that general picture of Joseph there. And then in verse, the second part of verse 6, down through um, verse 20, we see the, the situation with, with Potiphar's wife and what happens there. So that's the more specific circumstance. And then it picks up again in verse 21 through 23, and we see Joseph in prison, and again, God is with him. And so those two sections bookend this temptation in the middle. So let's read uh, Genesis 39, and I'll read verses 1 through 23. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight. And attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. And as he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household. And said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything 
that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The nearness of God will always be our good, no matter what is happening around us. Chapter 38 focused on Judah and Tamar, you remember. And so the chapter begins by reminding us where Joseph is. Kind of brings us up to speed. He had been sold by his brothers to Ishmaelite traders who took him to Egypt and sold him to this man named Potiphar. Potiphar is described as an officer of Pharaoh. He's a captain of the guard. He's an Egyptian. It's hard to know exactly what his position was, but it's safe to say he's some sort of high-ranking official in the service of Pharaoh. He's rich enough that he has not simply one servant, but many servants. And so Joseph is brought out of Egypt, out of this nomadic culture, and he's put into this great house in the land of Egypt. He goes from being a favored son to now being a servant in this foreign land. You can imagine Joseph arriving at the destination. He doesn't know the language of the land. He doesn't understand any of the customs. And he probably has no idea what in the world God is doing. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been in a place where you don't know the language. You don't know the customs. And you don't know what in the world God is doing. That's how Joseph feels in this moment. But in the midst of all of this uncertainty, all this difficulty, when it would seem as if God has forsaken him and that all of his dreams are dead, the text is clear in verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. I love that. And, and, and the Lord is with Joseph, and as a direct result of God's presence with Joseph, we're told that he was successful. He has the Midas touch. Everything that Joseph does, everything that Joseph touches in, in Potiphar's house turns to gold. And it's so obvious that, fair, that, that Potiphar notices it. We're told that, that he sees something. His master, verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Not just that Joseph was a great manager or a good servant, but but Potiphar looks at Joseph and says, the Lord is with Joseph. There's something supernatural going on here. And because of that, Joseph quickly rises in rank in Potiphar's house until at one point everything is under Joseph's charge. That's a pretty sweet deal for Pharaoh. He completely entrusts everything to Joseph. Joseph runs all the business of his house, and it says all he has to worry about is the food that he's going to eat. Wouldn't that be great? Have someone in your house, pays the bills, oversees all your activities, takes care of the house, cleans everything up. This is all you got to worry about. What am I having for dinner? Wouldn't that be great? That's Potiphar's lot in life. As we think about this, as we think about the presence of, of God, let me give you a few big statements about God's presence. So God is with Joseph, it says here, and he's, He's, he's with us. He's with us as his children. And so the big thing that we see first off is that God's presence brings blessing. God's presence brings blessing to us and others. God's presence brings blessing to us and others. I think Joseph is an example of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And what's the last part? In all that he does, he prospers. Doesn't that sound like Joseph? God's presence brings blessings to us and to others. There's a blessing that comes from walking in integrity. God's laws, God's ways are intended for our good. 
They are life. They're to keep us from death. So as a general rule, when we walk in integrity, when we walk in the ways of God, it brings blessing into our lives, into our homes, into our workplaces, into the community in which we live. Because not only are God's people blessed by God as they walk with Him, but others are sort of swept up in the blessing that comes to us as God's people. They they get caught in the wake of God's blessing on His children. I don't know what Pharaoh is like, but he is blessed by God because of Joseph. It's the opposite of situations like when Abraham lies to Abimelech about Sarah. What happens there? Barrenness comes over Abimelech's household. But no, here with Joseph, Joseph being in Pharaoh's house fills his house with good gifts from the hand of God. It's interesting. For God's people, your presence as a child of God brings blessing to the other people in your life, into your workplace, into your family, into your community, into our city, whether we're believers or whether they are believers or not. God is blessing us, and thereby he blesses those around us. The presence of the church, however despised it might be by the culture, is a blessing to the culture itself. We are, like Jesus said, the salt of the earth. We preserve the earth. We bless the earth. So do people see us? And know that the Lord is with us. Are we walking in integrity and faith in such a way that God blesses us and thereby he blesses those around us? If we are, then not only does God's presence bring blessing to us and others, but God's presence brings the faith and favor of others. That's the second big idea we'll think about. God's presence brings the faith and favor of others. Pharaoh sees God blessing Joseph. He sees the integrity of Joseph, so what does he do? He entrusts everything to Joseph. I think that's true for believers. As we walk in God's ways, people see that we're trustworthy. People see that you're hardworking. People see that that you live in light of the presence of God, and that changes how you live and how you work and what you do, and they trust you. They put faith in you, and they bring favor upon you. And all of that resounds to the glory of God. Because they see, what did Pharaoh see? Or what is, I know I'm going to call him Pharaoh. Potiphar, what did Potiphar see? That the Lord was with Joseph. That's what he saw. And so God is glorified, not just Joseph. You remember last week that Judah was made a laughing stock in front of the people of the land. Remember that? He's going around, he's got a servant going around saying, where's the prostitute that my servant, that my master was with? He looks like a fool to everyone else. Interesting note, I'm not totally sure how to tie it in, but did you notice that Potiphar's wife uses, uh, if you brought this Hebrew here to to laugh at us, uh, just sort of a tie in there, I think, between those. But what's interesting is that Judah's made a laughing stock in the land. But when we walk in integrity, like Joseph did, people see God's presence in us, they trust us, and God's name is glorified. There's something bigger going on in your workplace. There's something bigger going on in our community. There's something bigger going on in your home. As you are faithful and walking the ways of God, that he brings blessing to those those areas of life. He brings blessing to you. And he also brings favor from others. And they trust you more. And what happens in all of that? God is glorified. God is seen as great. 
of course, all of this is happening while Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. So before we start getting, you know, thinking this is an ideal situation, this is not somewhere where Joseph wants to be. He's there against his will. He's blessed. He's a blessing. He's trusted. But he's not free. And another thing to remember is that what we're going to find out is that Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's integrity, is going to also take him to prison. (laughs) So I don't want to paint this and say every time that you live with integrity, every time you live within the presence of God, every time that you um, walk in a way that shows God is with you, that you will be blessed every time because Joseph does and it lands him in prison. The Proverbs make big statements. And so it's sort of proverbial to say, as we do walk, I think as a general rule, when we walk in the ways of God, his presence, it brings blessing to us and to others. It brings the faith and the favor of others. I think you could summarize Joseph's life with the words of Luke that he says regarding Jesus. He's a young man and he's growing. And how's he growing? He's growing in wisdom. He's growing in stature. and He's growing in favor with God and with man. But the text is very clear about what happens next. It begins at the second part of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Made me think, being handsome isn't always a blessing. It brought tough things into Joseph's life. I'm, I'm happy with my average looks. Because Joseph is handsome in form and appearance. He's got a good looking face and, and he's well built in some way. He's a good looking guy. And so it brings trial into his life, as it were. We see the first temptation of, by, of, of Potiphar's wife and Joseph's refusal. And then we see this second, uh, th- th- there's the first one. And then it's followed by this continual temptation. She spoke to Joseph, verse 10, day after day, and he would not listen to her. And then she entraps Joseph. Similar to an entrapment that happened in the previous chapter. She entraps Joseph, after which she brings this false accusation against Joseph. Again, it happens twice. Once before the men of the house, and then before her husband. She repeats this lie multiple times. And who does she blame? Her husband. It's your fault. She accuses him of being the source of the problem. You brought this guy in here, and that's why this all happened. You know, Potiphar's wife is far from likable. She's not even dignified with a name. Just Potiphar's wife. We don't know much about her. I've got a description of her. It's in Proverbs 7. Let me read this to you. This is Potiphar's wife. Um, I took it from the message just to kind of hear it in a little different light. Proverbs 7 says this. As I stood at the window of my house looking out through the shutters, watching the mindless crowd stroll by, I spotted a young man without any sense. Arriving at the corner of the street where she lived, then turning up the path to her house. It was dusk, the evening coming on, the darkness thickening into night. Just then a woman met him. She had been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brass she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out at every corner in town. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, boldly took his arm and said, I've got all the makings for a feast. Today I made my offerings, my vows are all paid, so now I've come to find you hoping to catch sight of your face, and here you are. I've spread fresh, clean sheets on my bed, colorful imported linens. My bed is aromatic with spices and exotic fragrances. Come, let's make love all night. Spend the night in ecstatic lovemaking. My husband's not home. He's away on business, and he won't be back for a month. 
Soon she has him eating out of her hand, bewitched by her honeyed speech. Before you know it, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop, like a stag lured into ambush, and then shot with an arrow, like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. I read that, and it gives me so much respect for Joseph. That's who this woman was. Can you imagine that temptation for a 20-something-year-old young man in this house where no one knows him? He's a foreigner, and this woman keeps enticing him in that way. My husband's not home. No one's going to know what's going on here. She wants him to believe it's a situation with no consequences, that her husband is away and no one's going to know. And you see the character of the fool in Proverbs 7. And what does the senseless young man do? He falls into her trap. But Joseph is no senseless young man. I love Joseph. He's a man who lives in a knowledge of the presence of God. And so the third thing we see is that God's presence aids us in temptation. God's presence aids us in temptation. Potiphar's wife her temptation is simple. Lie with me. Three words in the English. What is Joseph's response? It's two whole verses. I was listening to Sinclair Ferguson, and he said what Joseph is doing is he's slowing the situation down. This is a, 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 a temptation that would involve passion and lust, and that, that Joseph initially would want to buckle underneath the pressure of that, but what he does is he takes a step back, And he slows the whole thing down and says, okay, what's true here? What's really true? And what does he remind himself of? I think he reminds himself of God's presence. Look at at verse 8. But he, Joseph, refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master... Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my master? Is that what it says? And sin against who? God. He looks at everything that Potiphar has given him, and he says, everything that I have is from God. And to sin in this way would not just be to sin against Potiphar, but ultimately it would be to sin against God himself. All sin is first and primarily against God. Because it's his law that we are breaking. And so it's God that we have to answer to for our sins. She wants him to think this is some private thing just between the two of them. And he says, no The presence of God is here, and for me to sin in this way is to sin against God. The message of the gospel is first about peace with God. That Jesus has died for our sins to make things right between us and God because our sin is against him. And our punishment is from him. And so the gospel makes us right with God and brings peace between us and him through the blood of Jesus' cross. Joseph doesn't just refuse once, but as Potiphar's wife comes to him day after day, he continues to refuse her advances. As I look at that, I think, you know, Joseph should have just avoided her. And we know that in the fight against temptation, that often what we do is flee. There are places we should not go. There are people we should not see. There are things that we should not watch. And that is all true. 
But it's also true that we will never fully escape temptation in this life, right? You can put all the roadblocks you want up, but you will never fully pull yourself out of the situation where temptation is. Even those that, that lead a monastic life still live with themselves, and they still have temptations. It, it may be that there are things that we can pull ourselves away from, but there are some temptations that we will face day after day, and we cannot get away from them. It may be a part of your work. It may be a part of your home life. It may be a place that you have to drive by each day. It may be a person that you have to see every day. There are temptations. There are sins that we, are, that we consistently and constantly face. And Joseph, to me, is a reminder that the child of God, living in the presence of God, can resist them. You can resist the daily temptation day after day. We are never forced to sin. Hold on to that. No one ever forces you to sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 comes right to mind. A verse that many of you have memorized. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, that other people haven't faced. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. If you don't have 1 Corinthians 10.13 memorized, I encourage you, memorize that. When you know what that is, that's a tool for slowing things down. To step back and say, listen, I'm not the first person that faced this. And God's not going to tempt me beyond what I can resist. There is a way of escape in this situation. I just need to find it by God's grace and through the power of his spirit. Of course, we do see that sometimes escaping temptation involves running away. I kept thinking about that scene in Monty Python with the rabbit. <laughs> Run away. But there's no shame in that. Joseph flees, and he knows, even in fleeing, that God is still with him. He runs away from Potiphar's wife, and he leaves what? His coat. <laughs> he leaves his coat, he keeps his integrity, and yet again, his coat is held up as evidence in a lie against him. Potiphar's response to his wife, his wife's claims, is, is kind of interesting. We would assume that if Potiphar believed what his wife said, Joseph is dead. A slave trying to take advantage of a high-ranking official's wife, that would not be tolerated. He's a dead man. So I think the fact that Joseph is thrown in jail means that Potiphar probably knew what was going on, but had to do something. So he throws Joseph in jail. And as he does that, we see in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence remains with him. The Lord is again said to be with Joseph. And in verses parallel to the beginning of this chapter, we see that God blesses Joseph and he blesses those around him. From the beginning to the end, this chapter shows us that the nearness of God will always be our good, no matter what is happening around us. Now, as we kind of come to the end here, think about Joseph's attitude and his actions for a minute. This is a remarkable work of God in Joseph's life. And as I thought about Joseph, I thought about all the other ways that he could have looked at this situation. Ways that he could have responded to the temptation and the trials. He looks through the, the lens of God's presence. That God is with him to bless him and has blessed him. And he can't sin against God because God is always with him. But what are the other lenses that he could have looked through? I just want to give you three that, that as I was trying to meditate on this that, that I think are here. Three lenses that Joseph could have looked through that would have caused him to fail in this test, in this temptation. 
And I think these are lenses that we often look through. Ways that we look at a situation that causes us to fail and to fall when temptation comes. So if you feel like you're tempted, if you feel like you got something that hits you day after day and you keep falling in it, maybe think about, am I looking at this situation through this lens rather than the lens of God's presence? The first one is the lens of bitterness. The lens of bitterness. I thought, what if Joseph was bitter? What if instead of trusting God in the midst of this difficulty, he's just filled with anger towards God? What if instead of seeing God's hand of blessing, he sees God's hand of cursing on him? I think bitterness would have crushed Joseph. He would have never risen to the place of honor in that house if he was bitter and angry towards God. Then when Potiphar's wife entices him and lures him, his gratitude to God would have not served to shield him from this temptation in any way. That bitterness may have made him even want to sin against God. What has God ever done for me? Why should I listen to God's laws? This God who had hurt him and harmed him? It's a call to beware of bitterness, I think. In the difficulties of life, if our hearts are filled with bitterness, if we're filled with anger towards God, we're just upset about the situations that he's put us in. It makes us much more susceptible to sinning against him. Why would I honor a God who has done this to me? What has he given me other than pain? Why should I follow him? Is there bitterness in your heart about some situation that you're in? That would cause you to say, you know what, I'm going to be more prone to sin against God because I just don't know what he's doing to me. I think Joseph could have been bitter. I think he could have looked at it through that lens. I think he could have looked at it through the lens of entitlement. The lens of entitlement. Joseph has been given little other than pain in recent days and he rises to power. And he could begin to think that he deserves everything that he has been blessed with. Pride arises in his heart, and it causes him to think that it wasn't God's hand, and it wasn't Potiphar's hand that blessed him, but it was his hard work. And therefore, he's entitled to everything that's coming to him, including Potiphar's wife. This is the temptation of Genesis 3, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All around Adam and Eve are trees that they are welcome to enjoy, but the one tree that they are to avoid is put in front of them, And they eat it. They focus on what they could not have rather than everything that they had been given. And Joseph does the opposite. He he thinks about all that he has been given. And in light of that, he says, you and you alone have been withheld from me. How could I sin against God in this way? God has given me so much that I don't deserve, that I'm not entitled to. Why would I be entitled to something that he has forbidden God has said no to things in our lives. And he's done it for our good. Temptation makes us blind to his blessings. And it focuses our eyes on things that he has withheld. We begin to think that God's withholding something good from us. Something that we're entitled to have. And the world is happy to tell us that that's true. You deserve all of these things. So be aware of this sense of entitlement. Of thinking that you have somehow earn the right to whatever you want. And the things you want maybe are things that God has forbidden. It's not for our good. Somehow we think that we're allowed to have that and it will only bring death to us. 
the lens of bitterness, the lens of entitlement. Last one, I think, is the lens of denial. The lens of denial. Often the response to trials and difficulties is to ask, where is God? I think Joseph could have been wondering that. And that would be to assume that, that these bad things happen because God is absent. God is not here. Joseph could have simply denied God's presence. He could have not seen that God was in control of this situation. He could have said, God has forsaken me. Forsaken me. He, is, he is absent. I can do whatever I want. To live away from the presence of God, to live outside of his gaze, is to set ourselves up for failure. When we, when we sin, we are living outside of this knowledge of God's presence in our lives. His presence as a father who loves us. And as a judge who will hold us accountable. How different we would live if we were constantly considering the truth that God is with us. I was thinking this morning as I was walking through this, I think it's in my in-law's house. They have this thing on the wall. Maybe you've seen it in someone else's house. It says, God is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. That kind of sounds a little creepy or something, but it's meant to be encouraging. Listen, God is here. He's in control of this house. He's, he's with us always. He listens to what we say. He sees what we do, not just at the meals and not just in the conversations, but when we think we are alone, when no one else is there, we believe this lie that God isn't there. And when we believe that lie, when we deny the presence of God in our lives, we will do some foolish, foolish things. But Joseph lives with this knowledge that God is with him. He doesn't deny his presence. He holds his presence near to him. You know, instead of bitterness and entitlement, and pride and denial of God's presence, here's what Joseph lives with. He lives with gratitude. He lives with contentment. He lives in humility. And he lives with faith. Gratitude, contentment, humility, and faith. Those are marks of someone who believes that the nearness of God will be his good no matter what is going on around him. God being close is good. He lives before the face of God. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of something I'd read I actually printed it off there on the back table. Maybe you already grabbed one. It's just this little article. What does quorum Deo mean? I didn't know what it meant. If you don't know, it's a Latin phrase. And, and this is R.C. Sproul, and he says that the big idea of the Christian life is to live quorum Deo. The phrase, he says, literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live quorum Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing, and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omniscient. There's no place so remote that we can escape his penetrating gaze. I think that's so just a great thought as we walk through it. Are we living in the presence of God? Are we living in light of his, his nearness to us? The Lord was with Joseph, and Potiphar knew it, 
I think Joseph knew it. In all the difficulty, he said, God is with me. God is blessing me. God has given me all of these things. God has withheld these things from me. God would see if I did this. I'm not going to be bitter about these things. I'm not going to think that I'm entitled to all of these things. I'm not going to deny God's presence. But I'm going to live before the face of God. Trust his sovereignty. Live with integrity, knowing that he sees me. And that I live to glorify him. That that is the goal of my life. I think we could come up with five ways to avoid temptation. I could give you a great list from the example of Joseph. But I think it's simple. Do we live in the presence of God? Joseph lived with the consistent knowledge of the presence of God. Is that how we live our lives? Knowing that he is ever-present. He is there for our good. He is the Holy Spirit who lives inside us and equips us to, to stand up under temptation, to tell us to run away from temptation, to live in a way that would honor and glorify him. I hope that, that these things would be helpful as you go through the week to, to maybe start with this idea of am I, am I living in, am I bitter? Am I living with a sense of entitlement? Am I living in a denial of God's presence? And instead of living in light of those things, to, to let the lens that we look through life be this lens of quorum Deo, we live in the presence of God, that God is always over us and he sees us and he looks on us with, with love. Let's take a moment of silence and allow God's spirit to continue to apply these truths to us and then I will pray. Father, we thank you for Joseph. We thank you for his example of living before your face. We thank you for him, but we, we worship Jesus, who is the greater Joseph. Jesus, who always lived before your presence, who lived only to please you, who went all the way to the cross, knowing, Lord, that you were present with him, that in the most difficult thing, that you were there guiding him, and that this was what he was to do for your glory. Lord, and it's by Christ that we can say no to temptation. It's by Christ that we can live consistently in your presence. It's by Christ that we've been given your spirit to live and to dwell within us. Lord, make us a church that lives before your face. A church that, that walks in a way that, that blesses others. That sees the favor of others on us. That even when difficulty comes, we stand firm knowing Lord, that you are ever with us, that you will strengthen us in temptation, guard us from bitterness, guard us from a sense of entitlement, guard us from denying your presence. Lord, I pray you would fill us all in moments when we're surrounded by people and in moments when we are all alone, that we would know that you are with us and that would change how we live and how we walk. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.